Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Emergency medicine applicants consider many factors when selecting residency programs. Previous data has demonstrated some factors that applicants consider more than others, but a lot less attention has been paid to what underrepresented groups find important. It's also not clear what applicants find to be quote-unquote red flags or reasons to stay away from particular programs in emergency medicine. So today we're talking about a new paper in AEM Education and Training entitled Factors Influencing Emergency Medicine Residency Choice, Diversity, Community, and Recruitment Red Flags. Lead author P. Logan Wyant, MD, MPH, is here to discuss it with us. Dr. Wyant is an assistant professor and assistant program director in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Johns Hopkins. He completed his master's in public health at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health before graduating from medical school at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He completed his residency training at Northwestern University Emergency Medicine, where he served as chief resident. Dr. Wyatt's interests include medical education, diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, resident wellness, and healthcare disparities. He currently serves on the Johns Hopkins GME Diversity Recruitment Subcommittee and the Council of Residency Directors DEI Task Force. And we're pleased to have him with us today to discuss this paper. Don't forget to read the full text of this article available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Dr. Wyant, welcome to the podcast. Dr. Pinsett, thanks so much for having me. So your study looks at factors that influence current emergency medicine-bound medical students' residency selection with uh, a focus on underrepresented applicants. And very interestingly to me, you looked at not only what drew these applicants to certain programs, but also things that warned them away from certain programs, these so-called red flags that they encountered during the recruitment process, which seems to me just some very juicy information. So we'll get to that. Um, But first, let's just start with some background. So what has already been published about factors that influence emergency medicine residency applicants' decisions in general? Thank you very much for the question. Uh, So in 2012, uh, Jeff Love published the foundational studies, Factors that Influence Medical Student Selection of an Emergency Medicine Residency Program, Implications for Training Programs. Um, And in that really foundational paper, his team found that most applicants consider both a combination of uh, location factors or geography, as well as specific factors related to the residency programs themselves. And they found that really for most applicants, um, they prefer, or they actually consider a combination of both. Um, in terms of location specific factors, they found that preference for a particular geographic location, proximity to spouse, significant other, or family, and community supportive of my lifestyle were sort of the three major location factors that were most important applicants. Um, They also found that the most important factors for applicants in terms of the programs themselves were the interview day experience, uh, personal experience with the residents, and then reputation of the program at that time. So that paper didn't really focus on underrepresented applicants. And 
your paper fills that gap. Uh, but what do we know about the state of recruitment of underrepresented applicants to emergency medicine in general as a specialty? So that's a great question, Gita. Um, unfortunately, the literature shows that female applicants and applicants who identify as racially or ethnically underrepresented in medicine are less likely to apply to emergency medicine than many other specialties. Um, there was a paper published in 2013 by Landry et al. that showed that only 14% of EM residents identify as underrepresented in medicine, compared to 17% of all residents across the board. Um, and meanwhile, the U.S. population is comprised of almost 30% uh, people who identify as racial or ethnic minorities. So emergency medicine was also found to essentially rank at or near the bottom when compared with many other popular specialties such as IM, surgery, pediatrics, OBGYN, and family medicine. Um, looking specifically at practicing EM physicians, our representation is even worse. Um, the um, number of underrepresented practicing EM physicians um, is even much lower, I think, in single-digit percentages. Um, this is all despite the fact that the ACGME um, is encouraging programs to systematically recruit and retain a diverse resident workforce. Uh, additionally, we don't really know much about the like LGBTQIA plus group, um, probably because of a culture that. Um, really uh, discourages self-identification. Yeah. So getting back to your study now, your paper states that its primary objective was to update our insight into the factors that influence the emergency medicine applicant rank list, looking at the 2019-2020 application season. And a secondary objective was to determine if those factors are different for underrepresented applicants. And your final objective was to I'm going to quote, quantify the prevalence and characterize red flags encountered during the recruitment process. So talk to us about your study design and your methods. Awesome. Um, so we felt sort of to fundamentally answer the questions that we had, um, we needed to perform a mixed method study. So we started out wanting to employ sort of similar quantitative methods to what had been used by Love It All, um, but felt that we needed to add a uh, qualitative aspect in order to really look into that idea of uh, prevalence of red flags and what they might be. Um, so to break the study down a little bit more, in terms of recruitment, um, we really borrowed a lot of inspiration from Dr. Love's team um, and tried to reach out to a similar representative sample. So we distributed our survey and um, timed our survey very similarly to what Love's group did. Um, for our quantitative aspect of the study, uh, we used their survey design as the basis or skeleton upon which we built our survey. Um, but between 2012 and now, several other studies in other specialties had looked at different factors that influence residents. And so we took sort of the highest yield factors from those um, and then piloted our study and then chose sort of the most important factors based on our pilot. Another slight tweak we did that was that they had used, um, they, they had had applicants rank their factors like one, two, or three. Um, and we actually found that using a Likert scale made it easier for us to perform our data analysis, especially when looking at subgroups um, for underrepresented applicants. 
we use sort of the basic quantitative analysis, um, t-test, chi-squared, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then because we were doing multiple testing, we did adjust p-values. Mm -hmm. And then for the qualitative part of the study, um, this is where we essentially collected free text responses to the question, um, please describe any red flags that caused you to significantly lower the position of a program on your rank list or to not rank it at all. We then um, essentially had two reviewers who independently examined the data, like thousands of entries line by line um, to identify recurring concepts and assign codes. The codes were then refined into themes using what's called the constant comparative method. And then the two initial anal uh, analysts met to establish their final coding scheme. And then one of those two reviewers plus a, a, a really a third independent reviewer applied those coding scheme to all the data. Okay, so let's talk about your findings. Uh, so first tell us about who responded to your survey. Um, first and foremost, I wanna say a huge thank you to all the medical students who responded to our survey. Without them, this work would not have been possible and we wouldn't have been able to gain these insights. Um, we distributed about 2,800 surveys and had a 49% response rate, which gave us about 1,200 total responses that met inclusion criteria, which essentially was about 44% of all applicants in EM um, in that year. They were similarly geographically distributed as in Love Study. Um, we had about 55% of the respondents were male, 11% identified as LGBTQIA+, and 23% or so identified as underrepresented in medicine. So what did you find about factors influencing applicants' choices in general? And were these different for underrepresented applicants? So that's a great question. Um, in terms of general geographic distribution, gender representation, and relative preference for like program factors versus geographic factors, our findings were very similar to Love's. Um, most applicants do consider a combination with single digit percentages that are making their decision entirely based on the program or entirely based on location factors. Um, amongst the geographic factors that were most important, like specific geography was still the number one as it was for Dr. Love study. Um, and then amongst program factors, experience with residents, faculty and interview day ranked as the highest, the most important. So like in terms of our general findings, very similar to Dr. Love's. Um, then when we broke it down, looking specifically at the geographic factors, we found that applicants who identify as underrepresented in medicine um, and those who identify as LGBTQIA+, were more likely to strongly consider the following factors. The first was ability to live in a particular setting, um, specifically urban, suburban, or rural. The second factor was neighborhood and community. So that could include culture, diversity, political climate, school systems, et cetera. And then the third was patient population. Um, they, these were the most important factors, and this was statistically significant when compared with their non-underrepresented colleagues. Um, female applicants also were more likely to consider neighborhood and community as well as patient population. For program-specific factors, um, those who identified as underrepresented in medicine were more likely to highly value diversity within the program, the program commitment to the underserved, 
And then also um, second look or shadowing experiences. We found that males were more likely to consider three versus four year program, but less likely to consider diversity within the program and program commitment to underserved than their female counterparts. And then finally for LGBTQIA plus applicants, they placed a higher value on three or four year program as well as diversity within the program and program commitment to the underserved. So in sum, underrepresented applicants more highly value neighborhood and community, patient population and diversity within the program um, as well as program commitment to the underserved um, when in comparison to uh, the, their non-underrepresented uh, counterparts. Okay, how about red flags? I thought it was fascinating that over 70% of your respondents reported at least one red flag experience. Yes, this was a big surprise. Um, we thought that we might see fairly high numbers based on prior studies in the literature, but we did not expect to see 70% of respondents experiencing a red flag uh, as part of the recruitment process. Um, when we looked at the specific key themes, we found one of the key themes was violations of regulatory standards. Um, others included program characteristics, such as programs being described as malignant or unstable, interview day experiences, program culture, interpersonal interactions, lack of fit, and quality of life. Mm -hmm. um, and what most alarmed us as, as the group of authors were the idea that violations of regulatory standards arose as a, as a theme out of the data. Mm -hmm. And then some things also included lack of diversity as well as frank discrimination. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that this tells us that our specialty has a long way to go, both in terms of recruitment of underrepresented applicants and in Ultimately, I think the goal is building a culture of inclusivity, but I think these data suggest we're not quite there. So it seems like it might be hard for programs to self-identify their own red flags. How, how might they go about doing this? So I, I think this is a great question and also a tough question. Um, I think before programs even begin to consider this idea of like, do we have red flags? They really need to reflect on their own program's culture uh, and its culture of inclusion or lack thereof. Um, a commitment to diversity and inclusion really needs to come from the top. And there's some pretty good data out there to suggest that there are some best practices around mission statements um, that really need to have clear targets and measurable goals. I think programs should also really engage the, their stakeholders um, and have all stakeholders present, present for these discussions and aware of the program's mission. The idea there being that hopefully the program culture, a program culture of inclusivity will help eliminate red flags before they arise and also encourage faculty, residents, staff, uh, and students alike to speak up if they identify red flags. Uh, I, I think, a tool that could be used for programs once they've sort of created their culture of inclusion and reflected on that um, is to consider doing a post-match survey. I think a lot mm. of us do that, but then specifically asking questions around those red flags. Mm. Um, you know, programs might take a look at our table five for looking at those sort of key themes um, around the red flags, but it's really important those surveys are anonymous to allow a safe space for applicants to respond and raise the red flags if they exist. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, what do you feel like residency leaders should take away from this study overall in terms of thinking about 
the successful recruitment of underrepresented applicants? That's a great question. Um, I think residency leaders should understand that program diversity, um, commitment to the underserved population, and uh, community and neighborhood are extremely important for underrepresented applicants. And if they wish to increase their inclusivity, they should really focus on authentically highlighting these areas um, and really signposting them in order to, to show that these are things that uh, the programs value themselves. Additionally, I think leaders should seriously self-reflect for red flags because we likely all have some degree of red flags in our recruitment process. Um, given the fact that there is such a high prevalence um, in this study, I think this is probably a systemic problem um, and we all need to get together so our applicants are not faced with such challenges in the future. Finally, I think we as a group of leaders in emergency medicine, emergency medicine education need to be intentional about recruiting diverse applicants, as well as supporting their growth um, in order to become an inclusive and representative specialty and overcome the concerning trends from our history. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk to us about your paper. I think it's very important, um, and I'm looking forward to hearing more from your group about additional work in this arena. Uh, I so appreciate the opportunity. This has been great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. The full text of this article is available on our blog at brownemblog.com, open access for a limited time. Check out all of our podcasts on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.